Thank you, Brother Billy, for leading us in our singing tonight. We're very appreciative for the opportunity to lift our voices in praise to God. I think about the teaching and the encouragement that we enjoy as we sing songs of praises to God. At this time, we want to turn our services over to Brother Mosier. I appreciate so much Brother and Sister Mosier being with us this week. I'm grateful for his knowledge, for his labors in the kingdom through the years. As many of you know, Brother, Brother and Sister Mosier worked with the Gregg Avenue congregation for many years. I see the elders from the church at South Haven here tonight, and we're grateful for your presence. I know that they labored with the South Haven Church for many years, and they were great personal workers. And I oftentimes think about what Brother Mosier said on one occasion, if you want to preach for a large congregation, then go build one. And really the only way to build a congregation is to preach and teach the Word of God. The assurance is that His Word will not return to Him void. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight. At this time, we want to turn our services over to Brother Keith Mosher. First time I met John Shannon, who led our prayer, he was with Billy Sasser. And I was not used to the greeting that our African-American brethren use. And when I asked him his name, he said, I'm Brother Shannon. And I said, that's a rather odd first name, brother. And he turned to Brother Sasser and said, who is this nut? And Brother Sasser said, he's going to be one of your teachers at the Memphis School of Preaching. <laughs> That's exactly how John and I met. I've loved him ever since. He's the only student we ever had that went out and bought a tent when he graduated so he could do tent meetings. And he's been doing a great work ever since. Thank you, Brother Sasser, for those good songs. We appreciate it very much. And Mike, for all those things he says, half of which are probably not true. I want to talk to us tonight about grace. I love that word, grace. It's a misunderstood word. Some folks try to take advantage of grace. The Greeks used it as a greeting. They would say charis, that's the word grace, hello. That's how they did it. In fact, Paul would start off, often start his letters with grace and peace. Two Greek words, one meaning unmerited favor, the other one meaning peace, just what it means. You know someone named Irene, that's the Greek word for peace. And so he would start his letters that way. And the Bible has a lot to say about grace. Look at Ephesians 2.8, for instance. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The salvation that God brought us is a gift of grace. In fact, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodly and wordless, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Grace, something I never earned. It's unmerited. In fact, I can't earn it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet became he poor for your sakes, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Speaking of our salvation, 2 Corinthians 8 9. When you look at 2 Corinthians 13 14, Paul reminds those readers of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In John 1.17, we're told the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I love to hear that word grace. I, it just fascinates me when I hear it. We're told that he, Christ, by the grace of God, would taste death for every man. Hebrews 2.9. Grace. What a wonderful thought. However, misunderstood. I want to show us in the first place tonight that God's system of grace and faith are identical. God's system of faith and grace are identical. Will you look with me at the 15th chapter of Acts for a moment? Hope you brought your New Testament with you. We have more of a class tonight than we do a sermon. But we need to teach on these things. People are getting away from understanding God's grace. You remember the council in Jerusalem? And you remember that several spoke. James was the president of the council. But at this occasion, where I'm reading now, Peter is speaking. And in verse 7 of this text of Acts 15, we read, And when there had been much arguing, Peter stood up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, he's talking about Cornelius, isn't he? By my mouth should hear the message of the gospel and believe. Now keep that in mind. Peter said, here's what I preached, the message of the gospel, and I wanted them to believe. Now keep reading with me. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit. He gave them a miracle. They were able to speak in tongues, which was a sign to those Jews that those Gentiles belonged in the kingdom too, if they would obey the gospel. Now watch what he says. And put no difference between us and them. They heard the word of the gospel and believed. That's equivalent to purifying their hearts by faith. When they obeyed, they had to purify their hearts by faith. Peter will later, later write, that's how you do it. You obey the gospel and it purifies your heart. But watch as he continues. He's connected faith with hearing the word of the gospel, now watch what he does. Now, therefore, he says, why, put you, why tempt you God to put a yoke, the Old Testament law, upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Listen to Peter. He puts it all together for us, the system of faith and grace, all the same thing. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved even as they. He said it uh, earlier. It was the message of the gospel that they believed. Here he says it's grace that saved them. The two are interchangeable. You can't separate the one from the other. The system of faith and the system of grace are one and the same thing. Go back to Ephesians 2.8 with me now. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, now that is a pronoun modifying faith. It cannot modify the verb saved. Pronouns don't modify verbs. It's modifying faith. But it's modifying the whole system of faith. That's what came through God's grace. That's the word faith in, second, in Ephesians 2.8. Not just my own personal belief, but the whole New Testament system which God gave us. It's his grace that formulated this system. Let's go over to 1 Peter 1.22 a minute. And this same Peter who was speaking at that council wrote this later under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2, 22. 1 Peter 1, excuse me. 
and 22. He says, seeing you have a purified your hearts. Over here at the council, he said, God purified their hearts by faith. Watch how he writes it. This is 1 Peter 1.22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. That's through faith. You've obeyed the truth. Same thing. If a man says, I believe in Christ, he must be saying biblically, I have obeyed the Christ. And therefore, I am in Christ. I have obeyed and purified my soul through obeying that truth. How did it happen, Peter? Read with me. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently being born again. You know, I hear a strange term sometimes from preachers talking about born-again Christians. You ever heard that phrase? Born-again Christian. There's a fellow down here in Mississippi that has a hound dog. He told me it was a hound dog. Now, ich bin ein Deutscher. I speak German. Well, hound means dog in German. That guy's got a dog dog. That's the same thing as saying you're a born-again Christian. If you're born again, you're a Christian. Okay? And we are just being redundant. Well, how was I born again? Purified by grace, purified by obeying the truth. One equals one. Same things equal to the same things or equal to each other. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. How, Peter? By the message of God, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And that's the gospel. Look at verse 25 which was preached to you. Now, if you hear the gospel tonight and you obey it, you're going to be saved by grace. Through the system of faith, and that not of ourselves, God gave us the system. I said the other night, God loves us. That's why he spoke. I think that was Sunday morning in Bible class. But God loves us. That's why he spoke to us. He wants to know us to know his system. Look at Acts 20, 24. Acts 20, 24. Grace is God's part. Obedience is man's part. There's nothing hard about it at all. Acts 20, 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus. What's your ministry, Paul? To testify the gospel of of the grace of God. What do you preach, Paul? I preach the grace of God. I was in a meeting in Middle Tennessee on one occasion, and I preached on what must I do to be saved. And a brother came out into the foyer and shouted to everybody in the foyer, we don't need that kind of preaching around here. He left out the grace of God. Oh, wow. This man had never connected the gospel plan of salvation with God's grace. It is his grace. That's how he gets us to access it. Grace is not floating around out here like some mystical cloud. It's going to settle on me somehow with a convulsion. But when I obey the gospel of Christ, I have obeyed the gospel of the grace of God. The things are equal to each other. Look at Acts 20 while you're there in verse 32. I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Grace. That's God's business. The grace of God that brings salvation. He's talking about the Christ here. Hath appeared to all men. Teaching us. That's God's provision. Teaching us. Look at 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 
Second Timothy 1 9. I remember one night I was preaching at Gregg Avenue. I kept talking, and finally I said, I can't find the book of Ruth, and I'd like to preach from it, so I'll just keep talking. Sometimes I can't find the verse. 2 Timothy 1 9. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Now, watch what he says. Not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and, what your Bible say? Grace. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before he ever created us, he had a plan. He had a predestined plan. And all of that comes to fruition in Jesus Christ. That's his grace. He made us in such a way that we could respond to him with voluntary love. But when you make a being like that, you also take the chance that he might reject you. And so before he created us, he had the plan. That's his grace. According to his purpose. If it were the case that salvation were holy of grace, everybody would be saved. And we can't teach that. Grace equals faith equals obedience equals obeying the truth equals the grace of God. Grace alone is unconditional salvation without even faith. Talking to a preacher one time, and I said, how is a man saved? He said, by faith alone. I said, but that's not what you preach. Oh, yes, I said, no, you preach faith and repentance. That's two things. You listen to Billy Graham the next time, well, if you ever hear him preach again, when he offers the invitation, he will tell you to believe and he will tell you to repent and believe. He puts the repentance in front of the belief. Can you imagine a man repenting of his sins who doesn't believe in the Christ yet? That's how he teaches it. Why? Because he believes that at the moment you think in your head that Jesus is the Christ, you're saved. And then he says, but you had to repent first. Of what? I don't even believe yet. They got it all backwards, folks. Our, our access into grace, let's look at Romans 5, 2. How do we access God's grace since it's his divine prerogative to give it to us? The book of Romans is the hardest book in the New Testament because too many people approach it as if it were a personal letter, and it isn't. It's a treatise on justification. He may have started out to write a personal letter, but he did something else. To show that only in the gospel can man be saved. No other way. Adam is saved by the gospel of Christ. So is Keith. When Christ died on the cross, that blood flowed back over Adam. It flows forward over me. Hebrews 9.15. But look at Romans 5.1 now. Therefore being justified out of faith... Now keep underlining that word faith. That's the whole gospel system. I showed that to us Sunday. That's the whole gospel system. We have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch now. You want to access this? Watch what he says. By whom also we have access out of faith into this grace. When I obey the gospel system, I've accessed God's grace. Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard? You say, why are you saying that faith there is the whole system of faith? Because any time the Apostle Paul uses the words law and faith in the same context, he's talking about the law of Moses and the new gospel system. Every time. I showed you that, but I'll show it to you once again. Look over at Galatians 3.23. 
And that's what makes Romans so hard to understand. Folks look at the word faith in Romans and they think personal belief. They don't realize he has a synecdoche there for all the system. Look at Galatians 3.23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. There's the word faith and the word law, and they are in the same context. When Moses lived under the law, and he did, and when Joshua lived under the law, and he did, and while all those children of Israel lived under the law, is Paul saying here they had no personal faith? He says, before faith came. Well, of course they had personal faith, and that's, and that's not what he means here. He means before the gospel system came, we were shut up under the law. Kept on, shut up unto the faith. That's the system. You remember when Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. So when you read the word faith in the book of Romans especially, and you see it in a context where the law of Moses is being discussed, he's talking about the gospel, of which he was not ashamed because it was the salvation of all men. And I access that grace through my obedient faith. The minute I obey Christ, I have God's grace. But I don't earn it. It's just my reward. But they keep teaching. All you have to do is think in your head that he's the Christ and you're saved. If that's the case, here's what we ought to hear on the judgment day. Well thought, good and faithful brother. Now, did you ever read that in your scripture anywhere? You will read this, well done, good and faithful brother. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Grace of God. Look at Galatians 3.11. The grace of God is accessed by obedient faith. Again, here's a book where Paul uses law and faith in the same context. Watch what he says about the law of Moses. Galatians 3.11. That no man is justified by the law. In the sight of God it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. When we debated Rubel Shelley in 1991 here in Memphis, we went and looked up this word in the Old Testament at, at uh, Genesis 15.6 and also Habakkuk 2.4. It's an interesting word in the Old Testament, faith. The word he used there means that I'm going to obey God. I don't care what the enemy does. I, well, all the enemies notwithstanding, I intend to obey God. That's what he means here. The just shall live by obeying God. That's faith. That's what it is in the Bible. But the law of Moses can't justify me. I remember my mentor, C.W. Bradley, explaining justification to us one day. And he said, God looks at me, justified, never sinned. He has to justify me because I'm not perfect. How can he justify my imperfection and bring me into his holiness? He sent his son, and that blood of his son, when I obey him, allows God to see me and look at me and hear me. Look at Romans 3.27 then. Yes, we obey the gospel, but we can't boast. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? The law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. 
Did you read in your Bible that faith is seen by works? I did, James 2.18. Somebody show me your faith without doing something. You can't do it. You have to do something. Brother Bill, try to walk to town without taking a step. Can you do it? And you can't show me your faith without doing something. Every time we baptize someone, we say to him, Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? You know why we say that? Because the Lord said he's got to say it with his mouth before we baptize him. We want to hear him. We want to, we want to experience his obedience. We want to see his faith. Look at Romans 1.8. Paul said that the faith of the Roman church was seen throughout the Roman Empire. How did they see the faith of the Roman church? Or what they did. The sacrifices they were making. Uh, look at Mark, Matthew 9, verse 20. And you remember this lady had a issue of blood for so many years. And she wanted to uh, get healed. Uh, behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind and touched the hem of his garment. And he turned around and blessed her. What kind of faith did she have? It's what she did that caused him to bless her. I don't even know if she was thinking anything. She just wanted to be cured of her disease. And when she did something, he blessed her. She came, she touched, and he made her whole. It's always the case that we have to act first. Look while you're there in Matthew 9, 2. You remember when they brought this man sick of the palsy on his stretcher? And Jesus, seeing their faith. They're doing something. They carry this man in there. I like what James said. You show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith with my works. You cannot say I have faith when I haven't done what God told me to do. Oh, but Brother Mosier, God knows my heart. And that's the problem. He does. And he wants an obedient heart. You have to obey from the heart that pattern of teaching delivered you. And being then made free from sin, you become the servant of righteousness. Look over at Luke, the seventh chapter with me for a moment. Luke, the seventh chapter. I'm hurrying tonight. You won't get all these verses. If you'd like the outline, I'll write it down for you sometime. Edwin always complains I go too fast. <laughs> Got too much material. Look at Luke 7, 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since she time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. She anointed my head with oil, or my feet with ointment. You didn't do that. Wherefore I say unto these, Simon's sitting there, he's got thoughts in his head, but he's not going to get a blessing. Who did get the blessing? The woman who did something and accessed the blessing. Look at Mark 2. And I'll quit these. They're just illustrations of what I'm saying. When they let that stretcher down through the roof, they had to take the tiles off the roof. And Mark says that at the moment Jesus saw their faith, 
He told the fellow on the stretcher, thy sins be forgiven thee. That caused an uproar. How can Jesus forgive sins? Because he's deity. And he saw what they did. And they were blessed by him. Let's go back to Ephesians 2.8 where we started. If you remember where we started. Can, may I preach till midnight tonight? I feel good about this topic. I'm sicker than the proverbial dog, but the topic's got me all pumped up. I wish everybody in the world understood about accessing God's grace, don't you? I wish they did. Now, here's a problem for some folks. They read Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. They think that's personal faith. It isn't. It's the whole gospel system. So they get that confused, not realizing that that system of faith was a gift of God. Then they read this, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, when you ask what to do to be saved, just believe. When my daughter was in her teenage years, she asked me one time if I were sure that the Bible said you had to obey the gospel. I said, yes, but why don't you experiment? Call as many preachers as you can in this area and ask them what to do to be saved. She called 19 preachers. All but one told her she didn't have to do anything. One said she had to believe. Because if you do anything else, according to these fellows, it's a work. And you cannot work and earn your grace, or God's grace. But these works here mentioned in Ephesians 2.9 are ours, not God's. We did not think up the gospel system of grace. He did. We don't boast that we thought up, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully. That's not our plan. So I don't boast about it. But brothers and sisters and friends, there is a work that I must do. Look at John 6, 28 and 29. The Jews came to Jesus on one occasion and said, What must we do to work the work of God? Listen to his answer. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Faith in Christ is a work of God, not mine. Peter had to be taught that the Gentile could come into the church. And he said, I now perceive that in every nation, he that fears God and works righteousness is accepted of him. Yes, there is a work that God commands. It's not our work. It's his desire. Works of the law, as we already read, do not save, but works of righteousness must be done in order to be saved. In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, as Paul wrote to that church when he was over there uh, in Corinth, he said to them, there is a work of faith, and he'd heard about it. 1 Thessalonians 1.3. He said to the, or John the Apostle said uh, in his first epistle, this commandment that we should believe, it is a work of God. But who does it? Man does. 1 John 3, 23. Repentance is a work of God. It's commanded by God. In Matthew 12, we read about the uh, Ninevites who repented at the preaching of Jonah. They, were, they did something God told them to do. In fact, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17, 30, and 31, and all of God's commandments are righteousness, Psalm 119, 172, and therefore, putting all of that together, 
When I get baptized, I am obeying from the heart God's grace. Look at James 2.19. Using your Bibles tonight, aren't you? How many of you know the best kind of oil to put on these pages? Palm oil, thank you. That's exactly right. James 2.19. Thou believest that there is one God? You do fairly well. You put you in the league with demons. If you're going to try to be saved by faith alone, you're in the same boat with the demons. And that can't be more clearly stated than it is right there. Ye are like the demons who tremble, but they're not saved. In the 8th chapter of John, we read about a group of people, and it says of some of them that many believed on him. Do you remember what he said? To them, he was followed by some Jews who believed on him. He said, if you continue in my teaching, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We read about some believers in the 12th chapter of John who would not confess to Christ because they didn't want to be put out of the temple. They were believers, but they were not saved. Faith alone or the faith. We have a lot of abused passages in Scripture, but God's grace has provided a system whereby I can obey it and come to Him one day. Please open to Romans 6, 16 through 18. If you don't have, get anything else out of the sermon tonight, memorize these passages. Romans 6, beginning at verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are? Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked. You were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine, pattern of doctrine, pattern of teaching. Now here's a very important phrase, which was delivered you. Drive a stake there with me for a minute and run over to 1 Corinthians 15 which was delivered you. The Romans heard a pattern of teaching delivered to them. And he says it was at that point they were made free from sin. Paul, as he gets toward the end of this epistle, and he's about to discuss the resurrection, mentions the resurrection of Christ in connection with the gospel here. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you received, wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now look at verse 3 and look at that word. The Romans were delivered a system that caused them to be made free from sin when they obeyed it. He says to the Corinthians, I delivered unto you a pattern of teaching. What was it, Paul? I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul had to receive this too. How that Christ died, there's part of the pattern. For our sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried, there's part of the pattern. That form of doctrine they had to obey from the heart. And that he rose again, there's the rest of the pattern. When those Romans obeyed from the heart a pattern of teaching, what did they obey? They obeyed the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Stay right there in Romans 6 and look at verse 3. 
Do you not know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his? What's your Bible say? What's it say? Can't hear you. That's part of the pattern. That's, the, that's part of that pattern he delivered to the Corinthians. We were baptized into Christ, therefore we were baptized into his death. But we don't leave folks under the water, they'll drown. Baptism is not just a burial. Watch now. Therefore we are buried. There's the second part of that pattern. We're buried with him by baptism into our death. We have to die too. That second death is ours, not his. Now watch the rest of the pattern. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know how I can tell if a man's truly repented before he's baptized? His life changes. Everything gets a little bit more pure and a little bit more holy. And why is it necessary to be baptized into the death of Christ? John said that the soldiers came to break the legs of all three on the crosses. But when they came to Jesus, he was dead already. So they break not his legs. And one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. When did the blood flow, my friend? And forthwith there came out blood and water. The two essentials to salvation, blood and water. And when I obey that pattern of doctrine, wonderful things happen. When I'm raised up out of that water, I'm a new creature. Old things are gone. I'm totally forgiven. If I sin after that, I have a way to talk to my Father and confess my sin. And if I do, He's faithful and just to forgive my sins. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 I think you heard the gospel tonight. Will you obey it while we stand and sing?